Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a podcast hosted by Denise and Keisha, two friends who share intimate conversations about alcohol and drug use, struggling with sobriety, and our personal paths to wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Done With Debauchery podcast. This is Denise, and I'm here with my co-host, Keisha. Hello, hello. <laughs> so we're peak summer season. And how are you feeling? How are you doing over there, Keisha? I'm good. I'm good. At the time of recording, we're just into the month of July. So I don't know that we have a major update uh, regarding our dry and no buy July at this time. But I think that the month is off to a strong start in some <laughs> I feel like things always start off easy. Um, I feel like the, the willpower muscle is, is there, flex, and strong. So, so far, so good. I mean, I've had some slight inklings of, oh, of like coming home late and not having food prepped and then being mm. like, damn it. <laughs> um so I, I actually am making chicken right now so that these Uber Eats emergencies can be fewer and farther between because hungry people don't make good decisions. Honestly, they don't. And like, I kind of had that same feeling like July 1st here is Canada Day, which is a holiday. And even though I had groceries in my fridge, like nothing was really open. So I was missing some key ingredients of yeah, what that I, I wanted to make. And I was like, what do you mean I can't order a pizza today to celebrate a holiday? <laughs> Not that I'm celebrating Canada Day, but just something. Yeah, I felt the same way. Like I forgot that everything was closed on Canada Day, which was the first day that we started this <laughs> and felt very ill-equipped uh, um, in terms of groceries. Luckily, we live in a major city, though. So I feel like there's enough little like pop up shots that you can pop up pop up shops that you can yeah. truly get enough food to make a meal like you can still find fresh fruits and vegetables and everything. But the like big stores or like maybe more convenience items aren't really so available. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we made it through. <laughs> what are we talking Agreed. about today? Yeah, so I think we're going to we're going to talk about the what the opposite is of of addiction. Like um, you know, I think there's for many people a, a strong viewpoint that the opposite of addiction is is sobriety. Um, but there is almost like another viewpoint that the opposite of addiction is connection. And um, I think that that really kind of leaves the thought process of then disconnection is essentially, um, you know, a big proponent in terms of being a predictor of addictive behavior. And I don't even think it needs to be addiction to substances. Um, you know, and I think we've talked mm -hmm. about so many other vices that we have. But, you know, it's we're going to talk about disconnection and the importance of connection. I don't know if I did a good job describing that. Do you have anything you want to add? <laughs> yeah, no, that was bang on. And I do really think it fits in so perfectly with kind of like the intentions that we've set for ourselves for the month of July, which is not mm -hmm. just like focusing on sobriety as like alcohol or substance free, but really looking at like the root of all these other actions that we're using to like, whether it's numb our emotions, hide from our true feelings and all of those other things that we're doing on a daily basis that we may not actually like consider to be an addiction. 
yeah and i think yeah and i think i agree with everything you just said and it's like looking at addictive behaviors um as a symptom rather Mm -hmm. than really the 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 whole problem it's really a result of of a deeper issue and i think i'd like to really start off about talking about why this is so widespread and i think so relevant for us today is that you know our society and you know western civilization has really moved away from all of these really organic types of connection that you know many ancient cultures would have in terms of community just in terms of gathering like there's something so i think unexplained in our culture of the importance of of the physicality of of gathering of sharing meals of having support for childcare um you know of knowing your neighbors and you know connection in the workplace and so on and so forth and i think covid has even added uh, an additional layer of this, you know, disconnection. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's beautiful that we have all these conveniences through technology, uh, connection through social media, um, or uh, like Zoom, like we're recording right now. Um, yeah. But, and even Uber Eats, or, you know, if you if you yeah. need food, but it really does lead to, I think, a lot of dysregulation and widespread disconnection throughout society sorry throughout society which makes people more prone to coping mechanisms and I think you made such a good point and such an important point with COVID and like the last two years that like we have an as an entire society have experienced like the isolation of being in a pandemic lockdown the uncertainty but like not being able to see your friends family be there to celebrate milestones like birthdays or deaths like it has had such a huge impact on everyone's mental health whether that be like increased addiction suffering with other mental health disorders depression anxiety and suicide rates have skyrocketed so like from that it's like the missing link is connection is our daily interactions with people that we care about and people in our communities yeah and i think exactly and what's really interesting about the experience is that i think it's almost unconscious that connection is missing to some degree it's not it's not like intuitive to your body where you're like i'm hungry my stomach is growling mm-hmm. i should go get an apple like you know, you know exactly what that sensation is telling you. You know, I think um, this connection is is somewhat pervasive and unconscious. And unless you are very in tune and aware, which I think a lot of our society is not, you it's very hard to know that connection is the medicine and what type of connection you need. Um, you know, it's it's like maybe not until you're like three bags of chips and eight chocolate bars, two bottles of wine deep that you're like, shit, something is really off here. Like, this yeah. is really unusual and almost harmful behavior, you know, that I decided to embark on. And, you know, I only know from, you know, years of kind of self-inquiry to be like, okay, shit, like, w- why did I go off the rails there? Like, that's not, that's not regular. Maybe just one bag of chips would be regular. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I think it's also something that like so many other, like, uh, I think 
sources of like reasons why someone may fall into addiction is that it comes like also back to childhood. And we see like in even a baby's like early few weeks and months, that physical touch and that connection with parent, it like, it forms a lifelong bond. And without that, like not even just human children, but animals, like they don't develop properly and they don't learn the lifelong skills that they need to really succeed. Yeah, I I agree. Like there are a lot of family and relationship dynamics that don't allow us to take in the medicine of connection and co-regulation in the ways that mm-hmm. we need to. Um, and what's really interesting is like we both obviously have dogs um, and I have always really loved animals and um, a lot of children that grow up in dysregulated families tend to like being around animals because it is a very slow and gentle form of co-regulation for for nervous system and for connection mm-hmm. and for connection and it and it's somewhat consistent um and so like yeah a lot of people that maybe struggle uh, with attachment like insecure attachment and things like that a lot of times will have pets Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting that you say that because I got my dog at like such a a pivotal point in my life. I've had her for about two years. So I actually adopted her two weeks before the pandemic started. And then that year of 2020 was just a shit show. Like I had so many traumatic events, different types of losses in my life. And that one thing that like, I truly feel like kept me going was the dog was peach. Like just having her there every day, not only having like the connection of like her unconditional love, but having that like responsibility of like, I do have Mm -hmm. to like, get up every day, get my ass out of bed and like care for this other animal that is like dependent on me entirely. Yeah. And I think dogs are quite unique in this as well, because, you know, it almost forces you into a connection because it's not just connection to self or connection to others. Like, um, you know, we were chatting about this a little bit before and I, and I truly believe like what I've realized over time is that it's like, connection to self, connection to others, connection to community, connection to nature, you know, connection to the universe, like as a whole, like Mm -hmm. there are so many just like different levels of connection that I think are, are needed to be a healthy functioning human. And listen, some people can totally achieve those organically without a lot of thought and strategy put into it. But I think the more modern of a society you live in, the more dysfunctional your family was, the more intentional you need to be to, to bring connection in. But I think what's really unique about dog ownership is that it it forces you into a connection with the other, even though other is an animal. And as you said, responsibility and kind of like a co-commitment there for care. But you are also forced into connection to nature to some degree because it forces you to go outside and you're probably going to a park. And I think then the other thing is, is like you become connected to a community um, mm-hmm. of, of usually dog of other dog owners, whether it's just the same people that you walk by in your neighborhood and you say hi to, um, or it's people at the dog park that you end up forging friendships with, or it's like whoever takes care of your dog or takes them for walks. Like there are so many layers of connection that um, result just from, you know, a simple thing is like having to take care of your dog every day. That's so true. Like I say hi to way more people like in my building and in my neighborhood than I ever have before because of the dog. A hundred percent. And you know, there's, there's something like, even if you're in like a sour mood, 
there is a water park right by my house where there is always it is like the place to be in West Toronto (laughs) under the age of seven for sure it is like could not be more hip and the amount of kids that come up to me and want to talk to me about my dog um it is always like such a simple way for me to shift my mood like even Mm -hmm. if I am in a sour mood like if I'm talking to a three-year-old for five seconds like you know obviously I'm going to be laughing by the end of it and you know there is that element of connection there and and I think also what I want to say is just like you said you talk and you smile and you wave to people while you're out in community and connection doesn't need to be this big thing like there are so many yeah. different layers of connection that really make you feel here as part of everything whole yeah. I think is really kind of like the word I would use so just as much as like telling the three-year-old not to, to be like gentle when they're petting yeah. the dog is yeah. still it's still like helpful from a connect a connection perspective yeah have I ever told you about my old lady in the window I think we've gone to steer before. Yeah, yeah. So those who don't know, uh, when I did adopt Peach, I started doing regular walks in my neighborhood, like right before the pandemic. And there's this very sweet old woman who sits in her window of her house every single day. And every time I walk by, she is there waving her heart out, blowing kisses. And like over the last two, two and a half years, like we've formed this connection she doesn't speak any English I've like spoken to her daughter outside she speaks only Portuguese she can't read or write but now like I take her cards on holidays I drop off photos of like the dog and I and then there was a period where I was going out of town for the pandemic to stay with family and I actually had to write her a letter to say listen I'm going out of town I'm going to be with my family this is the date I'm back like I will see you soon and her daughter like confirmed they got it and she read it to her And it's just like this unspoken, like connection that I probably wouldn't have if it wasn't for Peach and like my neighborhood walks, but like it, it honestly brings me so much joy to see her. And there was like a period where she was missing from the window and like, I was in distress, like wondering if she was okay (laughs) or not. Like she ended up, she had a medical situation, but like, as soon as I saw her back and she wasn't hundred percent, like I'm taking her flowers. Like, I don't even know her name. I saw her outside for the first time about a month ago, celebrating her 93rd birthday. She got to pet Peach for the first time. And it's just like, I'll always remember her. Like, it's so sweet. And I think that just goes to show like the power of connection, like Mm -hmm. how much joy it probably brings you and her and, you know, how, how much we've lost in society. Because I, I do feel like even when I think back to like my Italian relatives and even being like at, uh, the cottage when I was younger we were in like a cottage area where there were also like a lot of other Italian families like after dinner everybody would be outside together and like we would go from like yard to yard and like you know mm-hmm. the adults would be just like chilling and talking it wasn't like people were partying or anything there was just like a co-communal feeling and I think even from a parental perspective even though I know we're both not parents it's like yeah, like you probably don't worry about your kids as much because you know that they're within a community where A, they can go in and out of all of these homes and like the community as a whole is like all looking out for everybody together. And, you know, there's more of that like regulation, friendship, connection, you know, that that's there that I I feel like we don't have. And like an, an, an element of like safety in numbers as well. Yeah, yeah. 
And I think this is so important to talk about because I think like Carl Jung has like a very famous quote. Um, for those of you who don't know, Carl Jung is like a very renowned um, founder in psychology and thought. Um, and he he really states, and I'm really simplifying this, is just that until you bring like the unconscious into the conscious, like you're not really able to heal and move through. So the reason that I think this discussion around connection and its imp- importance is is so important for us to talk about is because, you know, even when we were just touching on that, like no visualizing, it's like, yeah, you can, it's, it's somewhat easy to do anything for a certain amount of time. But when you don't look at maybe some of the deeper reasons of why you're doing those things, as soon as you maybe decide you're going to eat sugar again, or you might decide you're going to drink again, or you may decide that you're, you know, you can go shopping or whatever you may just be like bottling up that actual need. And that's where I feel like things then go off the rails Mm -hmm. or you're not fully healed. You just may replace from one thing to, to the other. Yeah. Yeah. And like jumping from addiction to addiction to one that just seems like a little bit healthier in the eyes of society, but really you're still causing yourself a significant amount of like both physical and probably emotional harm. Agreed. 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 So I think you were telling me a little bit, but we we were saving it for our episode right now about an experiment involving rats. And I obviously (laughs) want to know all the details and information about the finding. Yeah, it's called the rat park. So it was done. (laughs) Love it. I know. It actually like sounds so gross. And like having like a vision of like a rat park in my mind is no. But so it it happened in the 1980s and it was done by a Canadian psychologist uh, named Bruce Alexander. And I guess the the idea behind it was, again, like that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's actually connection. So he was trying to like prove this point um, that even though we like, let's say like heroin, for example, was the drug that was used in this experiment saying that although the drug is highly addictive, like not every person who ingests it essentially is going to become addicted. Otherwise, like when your grandma has like a hip replacement or whatever, like, and she's like prescribed a painkiller, she's not coming out an addict. Like she's using that to treat the pain and then moving on from it. So in this experiment, he took uh, a rat and put it in a cage by itself. He gave it one bottle of water that was regular water and one bottle of water that was laced with heroin. And so the rat in that small cage with no other rats or any form of like entertainment or like a hamster wheel, like none of those things, the rat always went to the water bottle that was laced with heroin and was like compulsively drinking it and often would overdose in a short amount of time. So when the rat is by itself, it's compulsively going to the addictive substance. Then he created the rat park where it was basically 200 times larger than the initial enclosure. It had um, colored balls in it, like the the wheel for them to run on, all these different um, sort of like enrichment things for the rat. And the rat wasn't by itself. It was with 20 other rats or 20 rats total. Mm. There. And he said that the findings from that 
So they both had the same water bottles, the regular water and the heroin laced water. And the rats that were in the rat park surrounded by the fun balls, different things that they can get pleasure from were not compulsively drinking the heroin water like the original rats were that were isolated. Maybe they would dabble in it a little bit. I was like, they're just going in for a recreational hit. Yeah, (laughs) like they were having a little bit of a good time. And then they were like going back to their, their community essentially and like the connection with with the other rats and with the other items in the cage so none of them were like doing it compulsively overdosing and dying from it they were like enjoying it a little bit and then going back to going back to the rat park essentially yeah like like isolation and and pain are real and I and I think like that's it's so interesting to hear that it's almost like you know addiction was cured by the environment rather than um, you know, something like criminalizing it. Yeah. Um, and I think well, that's like the addiction we've... didn't even like happen essentially. Mm. Like the rats were more interested in the community of the other rats and engaging in the other, they just like didn't activity. care about it. Yeah. It yeah. was no longer like the only thing that they had. Yeah. Like they felt full organically yeah. from their community that they weren't searching for a source outside of themselves. Like, you know what I mean? They were, they were yeah. satisfied. And they also said that rats, like there were some rats that didn't die in the initial cages, but when they were introduced to the rat park, they also weren't compulsively drinking the heroin water. So once they were were reintegrated into a community and had these other meaningful connections, they also like phased out of the like addiction. And you know what I think, even like if we were to think about people, you know, we see a major increase in addiction in a lot of like prison type environments as well, where people are disconnected from society, disconnected from loved ones, and may, depending on the type of security of prisons, be in more of an isolation environment. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of suicide, there's a lot of drug use uh, in those environments. And I don't think it's solely from, it's not solely from, like, their background or their past. I think it's like a partially from the environment and the conditions that we put them in as a society without awareness on the importance of healing through connection mm-hmm. connection and what that can provide. And, you know, I do, I really feel like also connection is not something that's talked about enough in therapy. Um, when you are talking to people about depression and anxiety, because not only do I think that, you know, disconnection leads to addictive behaviors. I do also think it really exasperates mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I've spent a lot of times with, with therapists and I have only ever had one therapist uh, talk to me about the importance of, of connection. And that was actually recently. And I feel like I've seen therapists on and off for like the past 11, 12 years of my life. I, have you ever had an experience with a therapist that has talked to you about connection? I think a little bit like, so the therapist that I'm with um, now, she has been my therapist for about the last three years. So before that, I don't feel like I had any really meaningful long-term connections with therapists. So Mm. with the one I'm with now, um, when I was originally like trying to cut alcohol out of my life and drinking more than I had like let on to other people in my life, she was kind of the one person I was honest with. And she was really pushing me to go to like AA or form some sort of community, like sobriety based. Yeah. She's like, if you don't click with AA, there are like more secular options. So in that sense, yes. Um, when it comes to, to, a, 
yeah, I guess when it came to addiction, she was pushing me in that sense, but I think it was more for the accountability so that when I was alone in those moments, I had somebody who was of a similar mindset that I could connect with. So not necessarily like long-term connection, make sure you're going out of your home and engaging with people in this way, make sure you're experiencing like this kind of physical touch. So nothing really like that. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting if she's, you know, you don't, I guess we don't know her motivations of saying it. Maybe it was from a connection perspective and she didn't communicate that, but I think it's really important for clients to understand that because it's almost so simple um, in terms of like what the prescription would be, you know, uh, for lack of a better word to, to describe that. But I, I do think that's why AA is as successful as it is. I know so many people do fully subscribe to the ideology but in my opinion it's like it is quite masculine focused it's also hasn't really been redone since it you know initially came out and that's not to say that it doesn't work it's not successful and people shouldn't do that but i I honestly feel that part of the reason that it's so successful people for people is this community and connection aspect that it it really drives a lot of people have missing Yeah. Yeah. And especially if you're going, like you're trying to get sober and you don't have a community of sober people, like Mm -hmm. it's hard to make a change to be a certain way when your full community and connection is, is another, is, is living in a, in a different way. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You know what? I really also noticed this, um, through COVID where, you know, social media and maybe like technology was our, our source of connection. And I want to be really clear. And this is obviously my opinion. And I'm curious to hear yours, Keisha, but, you know, sending voice notes with people over, you know, messenger or over Instagram and commenting and things like that isn't really a source of true connection. I think it gives you a quick hit um, and gives you like a false sense of connection or a false sense of community, but you really don't get your cup full and it, it leaves you almost hungry for more. And I was doing like a lot of breath work stuff during, um, you know, and somatic work during COVID and my system was so dysregulated. I was blacking out frequently in my breath work sessions and I wasn't like, I was getting really stuck. I wasn't able to like move through some of my emotional processes. And now that we're back to like in-person stuff, I'm doing my somatic therapy in person with a practitioner. And I can tell you that the the touch component and just co-regulation and physicality of being in the space with people is an unbelievable difference in terms of what I'm able to access, process, the results I get, and just like my own like nervous system and what I'm able to express, like how I feel in terms of being safe and feel connected and a number, a number of those things. Yeah, I agree. Um, in a lot of ways, it's almost like if the opposite of addiction is connection, the opposite of connection is social media. Like as much as you feel like, okay, I have 500 friends on Facebook. I have this many Instagram followers. There's a saying that we are the most connected generation that has ever existed in the world digitally, but we are the most unconnected, like in reality, because I think it's so easy, like social media, I have a love hate relationship with it. Like through done with debauchery. I think that we've been able to 
make some really nice connections with real people around the world that we wouldn't have had the opportunity to otherwise. But then there's this other layer when I go onto my personal Instagram and it's not this kind of like curated, like health and wellness perspective. It's more like fashion, beauty, influencer. And like you get sucked into this, like compare, at least I do personally, sucked into this like comparison lifestyle, like looking at all these things that other people have that you don't have these things, all these materialistic items that are pushed into our face day after day that just kind of make you feel insignificant and incompetent in a way. Yeah. And I think that a really good documentary or docu-series to watch was the Netflix Facebook one where it basically Mm -hmm. says like if there's not a product like if you are I forget how they phrased it but they essentially said that like if you're not a pro like if there's not a product that you are like purchasing like you are the product so Mm -hmm. social media is not designed for us to make connections it's designed for us to be targeted and sent ads to marketing it's like it's it's, it's a marketing yeah platform. exactly so okay. i think it's also got a big this big portion of it where it just it constantly shows you all the things that you aren't and all the things that you don't have if you're yeah. prone to to those kind of thoughts and it even like now there's younger and younger children getting on social media there's um cyber bullying happening and i just yeah i i feel like i could talk about it for 2 hours but I even go through phases where I will deactivate my personal account for months at a time and go off because it is so consuming. I find it so healthy, unhealthy, and it does really draw me away from my in-person connections or like picking up the phone and calling my mom or my grandma sitting there scrolling. Yeah. And that was the part that I feel like is really, like really relevant to what we're talking about right now is that it, it almost makes you lazy to connect in the ways that feel truly nourishing because you have this or the like, ways that take of community. Yeah. It, like anything that takes a little bit of effort now is too much. Yeah. yeah. Cause you can just fuck around and like send some text messages or memes to your friends or like, you know, whatever. And yeah, there is this underlying element of, of comparison that's there, which just generally makes you feel crappy. But even if you have, let's say, a a coaching community, like a Facebook community or things like that, I don't feel like exchanging messages in there. Yeah, it's so helpful to share ideas and to meet people and things like that. But I don't I truly don't feel nourished from Mm -hmm. those exchanges or those those communications. And the more that I can fill up my time with those things um, and liking people's photos and whatever, which is kind of, I guess, connection. The, the less I have energy to do other things, the more I have excuses, the, the, the less motivation I have to go and meet you for a walk or to go meet somebody for a coffee mm-hmm. or dinner. I'm just like, no, I'm too lazy. I'm too tired, you know? Yeah. And it's like, as soon as you like, let's say you spend an hour doing that, whether you are like engaging with this, like supportive and like great community online or just aimlessly scrolling, as soon as you put that phone down, like you are still alone in your own space. Mm. Yeah, I fully, fully agree. I think one other really important point I'd like to make is, is disconnection even when you're surrounded by people. Like, have you ever felt like, I, I don't even know the words that I want to use to explain it, but I, I know people that feel this way that have been communicated to me. And I have definitely experienced this. Like you may be in community or in a group of people 
and and feel still very disconnected and lo- alone. And for me, when I experienced it personally, because I can only speak from from my my reasoning of why, it's often because I don't feel good enough in that community to a express myself, share my ideas, or be myself. So like I kind of hide, and so like I'm there physically. I may like kind of have a mask on and can kind of do maybe small talk here and there. I may kind of like go to the back of the room to some degree or stay kind of like disconnect or out. If I'm with somebody mm-hmm. I'm close with, I'll like attach to them. Uh, yeah. Cause they'll be like my, like a security blanket essentially. But I often leave those types of social circumstances and don't feel connected. I actually feel worse. I feel more disconnected. Like there's almost like something wrong with me. I don't know if you yeah. have a similar experience to, to that. Yeah, definitely. I think that it happened to me many a time when I was in that kind of in-between phase between am I leaving real estate? What am I doing? And going into these like real estate events, whether it was like a sales event or a lunch or a dinner and just being surrounded by these people that I wasn't truly connected with. And then I did find myself also like drinking and like doing other like engaging in other behaviors in those moments that I could try and connect to these people with. Mm. But it's almost like when you leave a a situation like that, and it's like, you see all those memes online that you're like me having to recharge my social battery after like going out for one night. That's not what it should feel like. You should feel like, Oh my God, like I have all this energy now because I was just surrounded by these people who like give me life and like light and like surround me with that. So yeah, I've definitely been in that experience. And for me, I think it definitely comes from that feeling of unworthiness, like not feeling good enough. I feel like insecure in the moment. And yeah, I think a lot of like self-judgment, but in those moments, that is when, again, like I'm leaning into addiction. Yeah. And you know, you said a lot of interesting things that I I relate to there in your story of uh, like, and being in in those types of events and feeling that way but what i have learned is that like we make these assumptions and judgments of ourselves that you know we're not good enough we can't relate to these people like we must be having this isolating life experience and after talking like more in depth with people in some of these communities i feel this state of disconnection and I've started to realize that a lot of people actually have not necessarily the same experiences as me, but very similar feelings and challenges um, that that we are we're both voicing mm-hmm. that we're we're experiencing. But because I think you get out of your body and into your mind about it, you start to get into the judgment and you're in the spiral. You don't even really try to authentically connect. Like it's almost like you've made the judgment whether it's about you or it's about who they are. And yeah. then you don't, the you don't even try up. to, yeah. you, yeah, you don't even try to connect, you know? So it's like, a, it's almost like um you set yourself up for a missed opportunity by getting into your head around, you know, some belief systems that you have or some judgments that you're projecting. Yeah, onto it's such others. a fear of being like judged. And I think like rejected or like made fun of. Yeah. Like yeah. if I show my true self or I share my true ideas, uh, like, you know, for sure. There, and there's gonna be something wrong with me. And I feel like that's like, that's my shit. And I think sometimes, especially like in a professional sense, I'm like, oh, if people know I'm into like spiritual stuff or like breath work, like then I can't fit into this box of also being a, a realtor. Like those two things don't coexist. They're gonna be like, this bitch is fucking crazy. Um, and I won't be taken seriously and I'll be judged and maybe talk about behind my back. And who knows, maybe I am all of those things yeah. that might be happening regardless. 
but yeah, then you, you don't show up authentically and then you, you don't know, maybe half of those people mm -hmm. are interested in talking about those things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we're using this as one example, but I think that can even happen at a party at someone's house, you know, like yeah, where you may not know the people that are there. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. And I think that like, really, like, especially like in this day and age, like everybody is going through shit and every, like, maybe not everybody is scared to open up, but they're, everyone is so reserved. And like, if we just like open our hearts, like that sounds so cheesy, but there is like such a greater opportunity for connection. I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, one of the things that I feel like I'm really committed to practicing, you know, as we have opportunities for more and more, you know, connection now that things are open here in, you know, fully open here in Toronto is, is being really aware because I think when you, when you get into that state, we just said of where you're feeling disconnected by, but surrounded by people, you are dysregulated. Like you, your, your system is dysregulated. And if you can catch that, you have assumed the belief and drop back down into your body in those moments, which honestly may just be like breath awareness for a couple mm -hmm. minutes or not even a couple minutes, literally three breaths. And you don't need to be like puffing and puffing in the middle of a, a fucking social event. Yeah. You can just be like, I'm aware of my breath. How do I feel right now in my body? Instead of thinking these weird thoughts of why you're not good enough, if you can just be like, okay, I'm experiencing like a little bit of discomfort. You know, I, you know, I can feel my heart racing. Like as soon as you start to like kind of label those things or note them in your mind, you'll bring yourself back into your body and usually into a more regulated state, you know, you won't be as dysregulated if you start to fucking spin out in, in your, yeah, you calm your nervous system. And it's like yeah, something so I, that's like, it's not even a, an intentional, like your body automatically does it when you start these practices. Exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't need to be something that goes on for 10 minutes. It's literally just a catching of, of yourself in the moment. And so I really want to learn to practice when I start to feel anxious and not want to talk to people or hide in social environments or start to feel disconnected when I'm in a group. It's to be like really aware of, of what's going on for me and just like take a moment to try to understand why I'm feeling disconnected and what I can shift in that moment slightly, because I think it's just like a baby step. You're not going to go from feeling disconnected to fully connected. It's like, how can I be 2% more connected today than I, than I was yesterday? And hopefully, you know, six months, a year from now, your leaps and bounds kind of from where you are in terms of, you know, healing and feeling more connected. Yeah, this is really good um, advice and a really good reminder for me as I'm about to embark on what has the possibility to be a, a, a high stress week. So, mm. so yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I will try to remember mm. to take a deep breath or three. <laughs> yeah, or just pay attention to your breath. Just follow yeah. it. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else you want to check in no I think that's or... no I think that's good I think that that's really also going to help for our last two weeks of July while we try to navigate all the emotions and the feelings without hiding them and supplementing with shopping and food so <laughs> this was a check-in I needed for the next two weeks I love it also me too it was so good to kind of touch base on such a a big and I think often overlooked uh topic yeah, absolutely. That was so good. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And we'll see everyone I'm next like, I'm time. I'm thanking you. I'm like, that was lovely. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>
Guys, we're still learning. (laughs) Okay, guys. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. This is Keisha and Denise signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Done With Debauchery. See you next time.